This is the Social Leader Podcast, inspired by entrepreneurs, founders, faith leaders, innovators, volunteers, and visioneers from every walk of life. They are the social venturers among us, those who crave the entrepreneurial adventure of moving beyond charity to integrate and then operationalize their social priorities. Social leaders are the true leaders among us who forge sustainable solutions to solve our community's most tangled problems. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Father Justin Matthews. And hey, real quickly before we begin, I want to let you know that this podcast is presented by Reconciliation Services, a nonprofit social venture in Kansas City working to cultivate a community that's seeking racial and economic reconciliation in order to reveal the strength of all. And if you're inspired by what we're going to talk about on today's show, and if you want to learn how to lead with greater creativity, greater authenticity, and greater impact, then you've got to check out the brand new e-course that we just launched called The Social Leader Essentials. When you enroll in the course, you're going to get access to two and a half hours of leadership training that's going to help you adopt a social entrepreneurial mindset, help you root out bias both in yourself and in your team, and help you embrace a trauma-informed, strength-based leadership style. And the coolest part of all is that 100% of the proceeds from this course are used to fuel the social and trauma therapy programs that Reconciliation Services offers. So go to thesocialleader.org and enroll today. We'd love to have you join us. Okay, well, today I am super excited to bring on a friend, a colleague, uh, an employee at Reconciliation Services, overall an incredible human being. He is a founder. He is a singer. If you ever get to be with him, you need to you know, have him sing show tunes. We're, we're really blessed to have on Kyle Smith. Welcome, Kyle. I thought maybe there was someone else in the room with me, but no, that's all me. It's an no. honor to be here. Thank you, Father. Yeah, it's awesome to have you. I've been wanting to do this podcast for quite some time, and we're gonna get we're gonna go hither and yon. We may even get you to sing a show tune. For all I know, I know Hamilton is your favorite. And yeah, even though I might be worried about copyright infringement, if I actually got a letter from the author of Hamilton, I'd put that on my wall, even if it was like a cease and desist letter. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've teased it now, and my background, uh, college studies and stuff, is in theater. So I know from Chekhov that if you bring a gun onto the stage, you better use it by the end of the play. So readers, beware. There may be some singing in this episode after all. There there may be. We'll see how wild and crazy we get. Uh, well, let's actually kind of jump back because you gave a great segue. And I'd love to actually just introduce people to you before we get to Determination Inc. and social venturing and all the incredible things you're doing with Thelma's Box Lunch. I just want to have uh, an opportunity to get to know your story a little bit and just to hear about where you grew up and a little bit about your leadership journey. So tell us about yourself and, and how you became the great leader that you are today, Kyle. Well, thank you, Father Justin. I grew up in central Missouri, in Mexico, Missouri. Uh, most folks are surprised to learn that there's a town in Missouri called Mexico. Great small town near Columbia, Missouri. Most people have heard of the Tigers. Uh, so grew up in a wonderful family there, very close with my brother and sister, with my mom and dad, with our grandparents and aunts and uncles in the area. So had a very blessed childhood. Um, in a lot of ways. I went to school at Truman State University in Northeast Missouri and ended up studying theater. I don't think I really knew what I wanted to do. My siblings both knew they wanted to be doctors since they were like kids. Um, so they've been on that path forever and they are both doctors now, but I don't think I really knew where I wanted to land. Um, so ended up studying theater, which was great because I got to sing some of those show tunes that Father Justin and I were laughing about earlier. Uh, but also the nature of theater is very entrepreneurial. It's very much stuff doesn't happen unless you get a team together and build it. And so I think I started building those muscles then. Uh, after school, I followed some friends up to New York City and lived there for a handful of years. 
I ended up working in fitness. I knew I didn't want to do any acting. I was still doing a lot of writing, but I needed to pay the bills and had a passion for fitness and exercise myself. So I started working at CrossFit gyms in New York City and getting to work in a class setting and also one-on-one with clients. And I think it's there in that setting that I learned a little bit more about what my personal mission statement is which is Mm. to help people live in love to their fullest. And I got to exemplify that and start to learn about building community through that experience working in fitness there in New York City. You know, I I think we all have a vision for community, Kyle. And I'd love to know just a little bit about what your personal mission statement and what community looks like to you and, and how you're trying to bring that into reality in your own life now. Yeah, I... I just, so we'll talk more about Determination Incorporated in a little bit um, and the community of second chance entrepreneurs, formerly incarcerated entrepreneurs that I'm helped to build now in Kansas City. And we actually just went through an exercise in our virtual Be The Boss meetings in August where we sat down with each other over the internet, over Zoom, and had a conversation about what our community was all about. And so together we put together this definition I mean, it sounds fairly obvious, but it's also very important at the same time. And community is when people come together to accomplish a common goal. People in community work in solidarity, live in harmony, and hold each other accountable. And it's been my experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that came from the folks that we work with, the Second Chance Entrepreneurs, and we put it together, together. So I was very excited and honored to be a part of that. And I think my personal experience is that in childhood, if you're lucky enough to be a part of those structures and have those communities, it kind of just feels like it always is the case and it always happens organically and it's always been the case. And then you get into adulthood and you realize very quickly, man, this community thing does not happen on accident. Like, how do you get people on your team? How do you actually work together as adults? And you have to be really intentional about that. And the last thing I'll add is, I think particularly, so I grew up in tiny, small town, right? And then lived in New York City, the biggest, coolest, big city in the world, and then chose to move to Kansas City in between those two things. And especially in a town like Kansas City, where it feels like you're surrounded by so much energy, you're surrounded by so many people, it feels like you can be involved with so many things. But if you're not really intentional about building community with people who are different than yourself, it definitely doesn't happen on accident. And I think community is definitely like something that we have to seek out and we have to build. And right Mm -hmm. now, I think we live in a time, not only just during this pandemic, but kind of the zeitgeist of our age. We live in a time where I think people expect community to just poof. You know, we're going to agree. We're going to, we're all going to kind of sing kumbaya, but community is actually really hard work, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it entails rubbing up against, you know, the disagreements that are there, but then also, being committed to remain friends, being committed to some kind of civil discourse. Mm -hmm. And I think you hit on something important when you said that we have to bring great intentionality to that work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also think, of course, we look back over generations and it's so easy to say like, what my parents counted on isn't the same anymore. So maybe they were very involved in their local church and and fewer people are going to churches, fewer millennials and generations after us in particular are going to churches. And that's a whole nother podcast, but it's a place where you people used to find community that they're not as often. I'm blessed now to be a part of a church family that I really get a, a lot out of, but I went through a lot of unworking and reworking in order to get there. And then the other thing is with the internet, Again, it feels like you're connected to people. It feels Mm. like you're a part of community, but it's so fake, man. It's just so empty. I mean, these things of like work in solidarity, live in harmony and hold each other accountable. You hardly touch any of those things when you're a part of a Reddit community or a Facebook group or whatever. So it's, I mean, it's getting better and it's going to grow and adapt and it is going to help us be more connected as a human race, but it's got a long way to go before it matches up with having people who you check in with on the regular. Well, you bring up something though, that is pretty much our present day reality. I mean, you know, at Reconciliation Services, 
we've got over 5,300 neighbors who don't have Zoom, right? They don't have Spotify and Apple Music. And so their only choice for community is to come to 31st and Troost or to go to organizations like ours or the ones that we partner with and get face-to-face and, and get the things that they need in order to survive and succeed. But, you know, a lot of us, Kyle, are making our living via Zoom now. A lot of us have no choice because of sheltering in place. Even as things open, we've become used to this virtual friendship and this virtual community. What have you found as you've tried to transition from little town to big city to Kansas City, you found community differently in all three of those places. Now you're in this sort of fourth dimension, this new space. What's worked for you in your work in the community? And what do you think has been a detraction? What's diminished community life about this virtual engagement for you? Yeah, the the first thing I'll say about the virtual thing. So Determination Incorporated, we're a nonprofit here in Kansas City that offers entrepreneurship workshops for currently and formerly incarcerated people. And when COVID hit and Shelter at Home started, everyone who works in the reentry community, those organizations that provide support for people as they're coming home from incarceration, we all got real nervous in our meetings. Man, our clients aren't going to be able to keep up with this technology stuff. One of the silver linings that has come out of this whole mess is that it turns out when the entire world has to figure out how to be involved with technology, folks finally have that impetus to figure it out a little bit more. Um, So thankfully, we have been able to make our Be The Boss workshops virtual and that sort of stuff. But it does still take a level of intentionality. And the other thing that I've noticed, and this is actually less from professional work and more from personal life. My Mm -hmm. sister um, just finished up her residency as an emergency room doctor, and she started working at a hospital here in Kansas City, and it's such a joy being able to live back with her again. But she's in a new town, and she's a young person trying to live up life, and it's easy to, like, maintain relationships virtually, but to start new relationships virtually is just something that's not really happening. So we're all kind of in maintenance mode. And it's very difficult to maintain and move forward, but we're all figuring it out in our own way, I think. Well, you've mentioned Determination Inc. a couple of times, and I want to segue to really talk about that. You gave us kind of a brief overview, but as we do that, one of the things that strikes me that I know from 22 years of working in social work and human services, where we interface a lot with people who are ex-offenders who are transitioning back is one of the big issues is that Uh, folks who are transitioning back into community actually don't always have community. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember working at the rescue mission in Nashville and police uh, would, you know, take guys from County or take, take men and women who are coming out of federal pen and they would have a bag of meds and, you know, a watch or whatever they came with, usually not anything. And they'd get dropped off at the rescue mission. Like, good luck. See you later. One time I remember even having a guy who got um, released and he had been on a drip IV and he got out of a cab at the rescue mission because he had nowhere to go, holding a drip IV above his head and walking into the homeless shelter. I mean, we take community for granted a lot of times and we don't know how blessed we are to have one friend, two friends, one sister, somebody that we're in community with. And I think, you know, one of our core values at Reconciliation Services is this idea of community and dignity and advocacy. Those are our three core values. Community, that we're made for relationship with one another. Okay, with that as a preamble, and this is your interview, not mine, um, the reality of Determination, Inc. is that a lot of folks are getting out and they're coming to you not just to get help with entrepreneurial support, but for community. So Unpack Determination, Inc. You founded it. You won a Levitt Challenge at UMKC. Give us the story. How'd you come up with it? And now what are you doing? Yeah, well, to tie it back to the story I started earlier, just as far as my journey goes. So lived in New York for a handful of years, moved to Kansas City, kind of had hopes of uh, starting a gym here. Um, I, I soon realized the realities of running a gym in Kansas City 
wasn't what I was looking for. And we can unpack that later. But I kind of did during that experience learn about entrepreneurship myself and what it really takes to start a business. And thanks to my experience in writing, I was able to back my way into a job with a very well-known organization here in Kansas City called Casey SourceLink, which acts as a central hub for all the entrepreneurial support organizations around the Kansas City area. So during that time, uh, I, I still had a heart for helping marginalized communities and people who are forced to live on the fringes of society. So I started looking around for uh, folks that were interested in starting a business and didn't need the help that they would need in order to succeed. And I started hearing stories like the one you told father about folks coming home from prison and how difficult it is in general, how difficult it is to find a job, let alone if you have a goal of starting a business, where do you go? But somehow through all that adversity, folks were making it work. Um, at our first Rise Up Get Started entrepreneurship competition, we featured a second chance entrepreneur. That's the language we use, formerly incarcerated entrepreneur uh, out of DC named Marcus Bullock, who now runs a tech company called Flick Shop. Before that, when he got home from prison, he started working at a paint shop. He very quickly realized that a lot of people uh, old ladies in particular were coming in looking for paint, but weren't going to paint the house on their own. He started painting their houses. He grew that into a contracting business. He was eventually getting contracts to help build the Baltimore International Airport. And then he sold that company and started a tech company that helps uh, folks send postcards to folks who are incarcerated. And I just saw that determination and knew that if we brought a community together, we could help more people along a path like that. Okay, so wait a minute. You come from Mexico, Missouri. You finish school. You moved to New York to be an actor. Somehow you transitioned to wanting to be, you know, running a gym and running a fitness center and doing training. And then after that, you parlay that into working for an entrepreneurial support organization. And then the next thing you know, you've started this thing called Determination Inc. You got to slow down for just a minute and unpack a little bit of that inspiration. And for, for people that are aspiring founders or early founders, what was it like, that ideation process and the founding process? And then tell us a little bit about Levitt Challenge and the role that that played. Sure. Yeah, I think hearing you say it back to me, I'm like, man, I do have a really messy LinkedIn. Um, the way it feels to me and the way I describe it now. So my brother and sister are both doctors. They're both highly successful, beautiful, wonderful people who I'd cry if I talk too much about. Um, and I'm not the doctor. Uh, and it's easy to look at that story and go, oh, you must feel so bad. And I'm like, no, I, they know what I'm doing. Um, and I think while they have a passion for healing the human body, um, I have a passion for healing communities and being a part of healing society. And there's not a job for that. You don't search on uh, zip recruiter for who heals communities. Doctor uh, of awesome. That's what we <laughs> you. you are a doctor. Yeah. And so you kind of have to like try out a few things and not burn yeah. bridges in the meantime and see where it takes you. Uh, so, you know, the through line makes enough sense if I talk about it long enough, but that's how it all kind of unfolded. And I, I think to your question, Father, about like what it really takes to go through all of that, it makes me think of some advice that we give to our entrepreneurs who are trying to start businesses after incarceration. And um, one piece of advice that we always give is to live below your means and to work above your pay grade. Um, mm -hmm. And I think throughout all of those experiences, that's just what I was doing in the background. Um, I was able to make my way through this weird path not because I had some trust fund, trust me, it's not there, uh, but because I was just constantly working. I'm blessed that my family finds joy in work, so it just comes naturally to me. And I just wanna be out there helping people, so I kind of just made my own way. So with Determination Incorporated, I guess to finally get to the nuts and bolts of it, so we launched a, a couple years back, and we, like I've said a few times, host entrepreneurship workshops for currently and formerly incarcerated people. So we have a workshop called Back to Business that meets regularly, or at least it did pre-COVID at a prison here in Kansas City um, and also prisons around Missouri. Then we have a workshop for formerly incarcerated people called Be the Boss Business Support Group. Uh, that's where that second chance entrepreneurial community I was talking about earlier lives. 
And then we also host the Rise Up Get Started Entrepreneurship Competition, which is Kansas City's first entrepreneurship competition for formerly incarcerated people. So we have done three of those. We did one in May of 2019, another one in November of 2019, and then we just wrapped up our COVID edition in June of this year. Uh, yeah, it's and so very I've, inspiring, all the things that you've created in such a short amount of time. Let Again, just want to kind of get to the nitty gritty. Do you mm-hmm. remember the moment that you came up with the idea and the name and just said, this is how I'm going to make a difference? Was there sort of a light bulb moment where you said, I'm going to do this thing, determination? Yeah. What was yeah. that? Well, so one of the first things I did, because I was working in the entrepreneurship community in Kansas City, I knew there was a reentry community too. I knew there were all these organizations that are help people as they're coming home. Um, so I started to just call, email, whatever, connect with people who work in the reentry community to learn what their work was all about and how they were currently helping clients. Um, okay. One of the things we teach in entrepreneurship all the time is you have to find market opportunity. There needs to be a need out there and someone who's not currently filling it. So I was doing my research to make sure there wasn't some other organization I just hadn't heard of that already does business classes for formerly incarcerated people. So I started talking to Second Chance and to Connection to Success and Journey to New Life and sitting down with probation and parole officers and hearing about the personal and professional development that they do for folks, the social services that they offer, helping people with housing, lots of workforce development, but no one was going all the way to that business level. There was no one who was focusing on that. And And for folks listening outside of Kansas City, those are all nonprofits here in Kansas City that are doing XO work or transition work. And all three of those are partners of reconciliation services too, incredible organizations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So one, one might not know those. Yeah, thank you. One conversation in particular to your question that sticks out to me was sitting down with a probation officer. He actually ran the district um, up on Brush Creek and we were sitting down and I was kind of pitching him this determination incorporated be the boss thing. And he told me, Kyle, I've been working in the field for 10 years. And this entire time I've had people come to me all the time who say they're interested in starting a business for one reason or another. And he's just never had anywhere to send them. And I went, oh, send them here. And it became crystallized in that moment. We could get started just by acting as a bridge between the reentry community and the entrepreneurship community in Kansas City. And in a lot of ways, we've just worked the last few years to make that bridge stronger. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Do you feel like one of the issues with folks who are coming through the reentry process is that it's difficult when you come back, do you feel like you need to sort of change playground and change playmates? And and do you feel like Determination Inc. is giving people sort of a motivated and healthier community to come back to? Or is that a struggle when people are with you that they're kind of pulled back into an old life and maybe influences that aren't the best? Yeah. Uh, I, I started to think about that a little bit earlier when we were talking about community. And Uh, I hear a lot of guys and gals say that in order for them to succeed, in order for their business to succeed, in order for them to reach their goals, they, they, they need a new crowd to hang out with because their current crowd, the folks who are hanging out with when they got in trouble are just going to lead them right back to the old paths. I remember even as we were putting these community expectations and values together in our recent workshop, um, Frederick, one of the guys who's been with us, since I was just sitting in reentry meetings, um, I was glass half full and all rosy eyed saying like, well, you know, we all have friends who are helping us. We can all make it work one way or another. And Frederick just stopped me and said, no, Kyle, that's not true. Hmm. We don't all have that. We don't all have people who are helping us out. And I went, Frederick, thank you for saying that. I was being overly optimistic and remembering, remembering in this moment that my experience is not everyone else's experience. Yeah, when the other thing I'd add about the idea of privilege, you know, that's one of those ideas, that's one of those things, those privileges that some of us have and not everybody has, that that you grew up with a supportive family, that you grew up with neighbors and friends and people that are actually positive influences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. the other thing that uh, we've seen working with folks in the last couple of years is that 
there seems to be a through line that uh, folks who have partners who are helping them out in their businesses move a lot faster and are more successful than someone that doesn't have someone on their team. Um, so one example from our recent competition, Brandon Webb and his wife are creating a line of beauty and skincare products and are working on bringing that to market together. Uh, Sean Gassaway, another guy who won our competition, runs Hefe LLC, and they do lawn and landscaping work all around Kansas City. And his uh, partner, Tish, is helping him out with back-end stuff. And just to have someone there who can help with the day-to-day -day button pressing and also help as a sounding board with your ideas and also hold you accountable and keep pushing you is really a benefit to folks. I think it's such a cool idea that you came up with and that you've, you know, it's not like you're reinventing all of entrepreneurial uh, environmental support systems or that ecosystem. But I think the idea that you came up with of translating or enculturating those resources, making them accessible, but also um, available, you know, kind of translating them into the life experience of the people who might feel excluded, might not have the opportunities that other entrepreneurs have. I think you've done an incredible job of coming up with something that can leverage the existing investments in EOS and translating them into um, a pathway for folks to really move ahead in their life. I'd love if you were able to share a story. I mean, is there from your experience, not, you know, not just things that inspired you, but is there somebody who's come through this last year and change with you, who's been able to come up with a business, launch a business, and then have some early success? Or what do you think your greatest success has been so far? Yeah. Well, well, first, before I share a couple of the stories, um, I, I definitely want to mention it hasn't just been me in this journey. We've had many people in the community step up to help. Our, our board of Determination Incorporated has been a huge part. And really, I couldn't do it without it, without my teammate, uh, Leslie Walton, our entrepreneur success manager, who's been helping me run the day to day of Determination Incorporated for the last year plus. So shout out to Leslie. She has been an awesome teammate in this process. But to your question, Father, about stories. So a really fun thing that's happened in the last couple of years is I've gone from a guy who helps facilitate workshops for formerly incarcerated entrepreneurs to a customer of formerly incarcerated entrepreneurs. And Father, that part is so much more exciting because it's actually when you get to do the work. You're not just theoretically talking about a business in a room anymore. You're actually living in solidarity, working in harmony with someone else. Um, yeah. So a couple of those, Samuel Lane won our recent competition in June. He works with his partner, Gina. There's an example of someone who works with their partner. Um, Samuel just finished up, Samuel and his team, I should say, he hired folks painting the exterior of my wife and I's house um, and doing a couple other projects around the house. And they were so professional and so organized and they came so far, Gina and Samuel, I mean, from the first conversation I had with them a year or so, whatever, where they could see where they wanted to be and they could see that they needed to be more organized and more focused to get there. And I mm -hmm. did such a small part. Determination Incorporated played such a, such a small role, but we were someone on their team who was helping along the way. And then so to a year later, sit down with Samuel and Gina and my wife and I and go through the quoting process. And Father, I'm not kidding you. When we sat down, we thought we were just going to pay to have the outside of our house painted. And by the time we were done, we were having our house painted. We were having our sun porch tore down and we were adding gutters to the house. You got that, sold. <laughs> that man knows what he's doing. Nobody ever buys a it. product. Like this is sales 101. You always mm -hmm. buy the salesperson, right? Mm -hmm. So the moment he walked in, he knew this is going to be a big ticket. Like this is going to be a big ticket. <laughs> What's the name of their company so other people can check them out if they want to? Absolutely. Lane Contracting, L-A-N-E Contracting. And they're on okay, Facebook cool. and everything. And I'll tell yeah. one more story real quick. Um, yeah. This is a very special one to me. So I mentioned our workshop, our back to business workshop that we host in prisons in Kansas City and around the state. So we were down at the Kansas City Reentry Center, which is a prison in the West Bottoms neighborhood of Kansas City. Many people don't even know it exists, but if you're ever taking prom photos on the 12th Street Bridge, 
and you look north, there's a blue building up there. It's a minimum security prison where guys live who are headed back to the Kansas City area within the next year or so. So in one of our first workshops there, uh, I had the pleasure of working with a handful of guys, but one of them was Michael Mosley. And Michael was showing me some of the sketches that he had done in prison. And he's got this beautiful sketch of, um, oh, name is escaping me. Go to his Instagram, MikeMo816, and you will see all of his beautiful sketches. Anyway, Michael told me Mike his MikeMo816. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, told me he was headed, he wanted to be a tattoo artist. So when he got home, he reconnected with his family, got a couple random jobs. Eventually, we were able to help him get a tattoo apprenticeship. Um, and actually, this tattoo that I have on my wrist right now. Let me see where my camera actually is on my home. screen. It says home. My boy, Michael, did that. Uh, and I'd been waiting for over a year to get that tattoo. And it meant so much for me to have him do it. Because um, if you don't mind me sharing this more personal story here real quickly, to me, what this tattoo means. So uh, it's actually in the handwriting of my biological father, whose name was Mark Wilson. Um, Mark passed away when I was very young. He took his own life when my brother and my sister and I were just babies. And so I've, I've worked for a long time to work through that trauma and I'll never be able to welcome my father home. Um, someday I will be home with him in heaven, but until then um, I can be a part of helping fathers like Michael come home and be together with their family um, and work to do good things in their life and in Kansas city. So this tattoo means so much to me and having Michael home means so much to me and building Determination Incorporated and now getting to work with Reconciliation Services has really just been a huge honor and I'm so blessed to be here. And thank you for sharing such a personal and heartfelt story. May your father's memory be eternal. And it's really touching how you're um, transfiguring that pain and that trauma into such incredible good for, for guys like Michael. Thank you for being uh, such a, an inspi inspiration for a Thank lot you. of us. And that's the closest I've gotten to crying on this podcast. So don't do that again, please. <laughs> well, but now we're just going to get you to singing before too long. No, no. But I want to, I do want to ask you um, maybe a difficult question. I hope, I hope it's not, but look, I mean, a lot of people, if they see a company and all of a sudden the guy, they find out, Oh my gosh, this guy was a felon and he was in prison for a long time. Uh, I'm not going to hire him. I don't want him to come and paint my house, be around my family, whatever. I I'd love to know not so much how to overcome that from the customer's angle, but I'd love to know what do you say to the, to the men and women who are entrepreneurs? How do you teach them or encourage them to, to meet that objection and to turn it into a strength somehow? What, how do you handle that? It seems like one of those huge things that most uh, transitioning entrepreneurs are going to have to face? Yeah, so it's definitely a case-by-case -case basis, and it depends on the setting that you're in. And, you know, there are some rules that folks who have a record just have to follow. I mean, there are some realities, uh, depending on what your offense was, you're not able to this or you're not able to do that. And if those rules exist, either work to change the rules or choose a different path. So that's step one. Um, and then from there, the first place we always start is simply like, you don't have to market your company as second chance entrepreneur run. Like this doesn't have to be how you sell yourself. Um, in fact, if you are choosing to sell yourself for that reason, it's an uphill climb that you can do for all the right reasons, but you should be doing them for all the right reasons and have all of that built and be able to tell that whole story well. So you go there and then it's it's different, right, between being a formerly incarcerated business owner versus being a formerly incarcerated employee. Because as right. an employee, they're going to run a background check and you have to be ready to have that conversation. And all those reentry organizations that I talked about earlier, they do a great job of coaching you on how to talk about 
what happened, how to talk about how far you've come since, how to write your resume so that they can see all the work you've done in prison. There's a lot of technical stuff that you can do there. But I guess the last thing I would say, Father, to your point earlier about transfiguring or transforming trauma into something that's useful and something that's helpful and something that drives you forward, um, it's if, if you've had a personal inward journey or a personal outward journey even that you want to share and that you feel is a part of the story that you tell other people, well, just tell that story authentically. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's always about what the customer wants or what the customer needs. Um, so do they need to hear your story right now or do you need to get your story off your chest? So it's, it's a lot of different things, which is why it always has to be on a case by case basis. But at the end of the day, it does come down to just being true to yourself and where you are in your healing process. Well, so let's jump from this conversation because I I could talk to you all day about determination Inc and the curriculum and all the things that you're doing, but I want to kind of jump to the macro because you helped uh, in Kansas City last year to facilitate during the Global Entrepreneurship Week that happens in Kansas City and sponsored by Kaufman and lots of others, Kaufman Foundation. You actually put together the social entrepreneurial track for social entrepreneurs or what I like to call social venturers, those who crave the entrepreneurial adventure of creating a social impact or a social good at the same time as running their, their business. Talk to me about what your thoughts are on this emerging sector of capitalism, this emerging sector of business, of social venturing, social entrepreneurship. What is it to you? How do you define it? Because there's a thousand definitions of it. And why have you embraced that model rather than another model in terms of entrepreneurship for yourself? Yeah. So with social venturing, I guess... The definition that I've been using most recently uh, for myself and with others is just most simply a business with a mission, a business that also has a goal of making money and a goal of doing some sort of social good. Um, You can complicate it in a thousand different ways, and we should complicate it in a million different ways. Uh, But at its very core, if we even just had more of those in our world, businesses with a mission, we would be better off. And I think. One of the things that I noticed really quickly is you can look at some of the big businesses who claim to have a mission, the the corporate social responsibility sort of thing, and they are doing good. They're putting lots of money toward really good causes, but it doesn't go much deeper than taking a little bit out of the bottom line in order to help those people over there and no one's worried about it and you can move on and keep making money. And what I'd like to get to is actually helping to start and grow businesses that bake in that social impact right into what they're trying to do. Um, And I think that's why it is so exciting for me to be at the point in the journey with Determination Incorporated, where I just get to be a customer for second chance entrepreneurs. I hope you stand that thing up a little bit. Now do what you do, you know, spotlight's on you, you're on center stage, let's see how you can perform. And so um, I, I think, to return to that idea of business with a mission, um, a lot of it just comes down to, I was told my all over the place story of not having a job title that I really liked. And I think a big part of it was like, how come job titles over there say you make money and job titles over there say you help people? Like, Mm. can't we find something in between those two things? And I think we have to uncover them and then build more things in our path as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a real false dichotomy, I think, that you either have to be a nonprofit 501c or you have to be an LLC C Corp or for profit. And if you're a nonprofit, you're not supposed to make any money, which, by the way, isn't true. Nonprofits should make money, they should be putting rainy day funds away. The difference is they just can't inure the profit to themselves. There's no owner. It's a public benefit charity, right? So they have to plow that profit back into their community work. And, you know, I think on the for-profit side, people think, well, we're not, we're a for-profit. You know, we make these widgets, we deliver this service, we do this thing. And from the excess of our uh, success, we can give 
something and do good in the community. But I think what you're advocating for, if I'm hearing you, is this idea of a blended structure. And it, it's definitely a um, like a scale or, or, you know, a spectrum. You have some companies that lean more towards just for profit and some organizations that are pure nonprofits. And then you have this middle like Determination Inc. and like Thomas Kitchen and, and the work that we're doing here at Reconciliation Services. And I want to, I want to make sure that we get that in there. You've, you've come in with the Reconciliation Services team and you've taken Thomas Kitchen, which is uh, Kansas City's first donate what you can restaurant. And you've taken that gathering place. And because of COVID, we had to shut the restaurant down. But we've been planning all along to launch a social venture box lunch. Uh, I'll call it a product, but a, but a service, a, a community benefit. And you've taken that idea. And with the team, with Randy Hobbs and artists and the rest of the team at Reconciliation Services, um, you've built something and it's truly a social venture. Talk to us a little bit about how Thelma's Box Lunch works and why it's a social venture. How does it fit into that matrix? Absolutely. So as, as you've described there and as some who are listening may be familiar with, others maybe not as much. So Thelma's Box Lunch is an extension of Thelma's Kitchen. Thelma's Kitchen being Kansas City's first Donate What You Can Cafe run by the team here at Reconciliation Services. And at the core of it, it's allowing everybody to eat. So we have a Donate What You Can model. So you pay what you can in order to have lunch that day in order to be a part of our community, have this gathering place where we can come together and heal together and go grow closer together as a community. Of course, COVID makes that more difficult. So as you explained, Father, launching Thelma's Box Lunch earlier um, allowed us to keep building that community and keep building Thelma's Kitchen as we go. So now we sell our box lunches, sandwiches, two side cookie, and a smiling face uh, at our to-go window here on 31st and Truce. And we're still able to serve our neighbors in need uh, low-cost, affordable, healthy food, which is great. And at the same time, we're also able to sell Thelma's Box Lunch online to individuals who want to stop by and pick it up, have their COVID-safe lunch, everything individually packed, everything you need right there in our beautiful box so you can have a delicious lunch that day. And then also selling box lunches to businesses and organizations who are coming together for meetings or meeting virtually all over the place. And I think there's a very simple value proposition right there that kind of explains a lot of what we're doing as a social venture here with Thelma's Box Lunch. So prior to us existing, uh, you were buying your box lunch at Jimmy John's or Panera's and it was delicious and you felt okay about it and you moved on with your day. And now the Thelma's Box Lunch is here you're able to have the satisfaction of that delicious lunch, maybe even more delicious, if I may say so myself, but also knowing at the same time that you're supporting reconciliation services and the work that we're doing here on 31st and Truce. The only five-star Yelp-rated restaurant on Truce Avenue that I'm mm -hmm. aware of in Kansas City. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. tasty, actually. What's your favorite sandwich in the box lunch? Uh, I got to go for the Italian sub. Yeah, yeah, all eat it straight from the, the box bon and me. love it. The bon mi, the bon mi. It's spicy, it's tasty, and yeah. the cookie. Yeah, that's my I'm wife's favorite too. The cookie is her favorite. Uh, she does love, love, love cookies, but the bon mi is her favorite. Well, and you know what? The cookies, they're you know the cool thing is magically they're calorie free, and so you can eat them without mm -hmm. any guilt. Yeah, I'm on keto, and I can eat a cookie, and it's just amazing, and nobody knows the difference, but. The other cool thing I think is that you guys are using recipes from community members and you did a lot of work to make sure that the social venture was not only um, affordable and even free for people in the community who really need food and struggle with food access, but also you made sure that it, it was enculturated to the taste and the liking of, of the community here. And so I love the intentionality, right? You, you use that idea early on that in order to build community, we have to be more than intentional about community. We have to really work at it. And I love what you and the team have done with Thelma's Box Lunch of getting recipes from neighbors, testing all of those recipes and having lots and lots of feedback from people so that it's not just affordable and feel good, but it really, really tastes good. 
So this is at least the second social venture that you've been involved in starting. Um, so you're on a pretty great entrepreneurial uh, trajectory yourself. Where do you think you're going to head next uh, other than Broadway singing Les Mis or in Hamilton, if that <laughs> doesn't happen? Um, what do you think you're going to do long term? You want to stay in the social venture space and keep creating companies like this? Or where do you think you're headed? Yeah, definitely. So we shared my all over the place LinkedIn profile earlier. And I, th I think I've, I've done my venturing out in the wild. I, I've gone wide and now it's time to go deep. Um, and yeah. so I'm, I'm really looking to set roots, got married this summer, love working with the team here at Reconciliation Services and building Thelma's Box Lunch, keeping everything wonderful with Determination Incorporated going. So I've seen enough things to go, yeah, it's these things that I want to focus in on and see where they go. And I, I think one lesson that I want to add in my own like personal entrepreneurship journey in all of mm. this is... A big part of my decision to join the team here at Reconciliation Services and help build Thelma's Box Lunch is one of the things that I realized very quickly, particularly in the social space and in the Venn diagram between nonprofits and for-profit that we've been talking about, is it's hard to do that stuff alone, man. I would not recommend it. I mean, to say it more positively, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And uh, one of the things we need to be working on in order to be able to build better solutions for our community, for our society, is learning how to work together. Um, so it's an honor to be a part of this team here. And I'm so glad that we all get to build this with our expertise and our wisdom and our heart coming together. And if this Thelma's Box Lunch would not come as far were it not for your leadership and Jen and Jody's leadership and Randy and artists working and Jay and Francine working and all the volunteers. It yeah, really does take a village to make it happen. So to yeah. all those entrepreneurs, particularly the social entrepreneurs, find the people who care about the same stuff that you care about. Uh, we do not need to be alone, especially right now. And we need to be working yeah. together to solve some of these big thorny problems. Yeah, I agree with you. I'd love to know as we kind of wrap up, I always end every podcast with this question. There are people out there listening right now who want to learn how to lead with greater social impact. What advice would you give them? Are there two or three other things that you've learned along the way that people need to take up in order to lead with greater impact? One of the exercises that we always go through in our entrepreneurship workshops with Determination Incorporated is spending some time having everyone explore what their whys are and what their intention is and what drives them. And the very simple advice that we always give is that you have to know your why in order to make it through the down days and the up days, but also knowing your why when I shared in my story earlier, when I had that revelation, when I moved to New York, that my life's mission was about helping people live and love to their fullest. Well, now all of a sudden I had this foundation that I could build a lot of different houses on top of. It could have looked like a lot of different things. Maybe I went to medical school later than my siblings did. I didn't need all that debt. So instead I took a different path and building something different. But once you have that strong foundation, you can build a lot of interesting things on top of it. So that's the first one. And then the second one is, uh, and this is an exercise we do with Determination Incorporated as well, is knowing what your values are. Uh, so you mentioned earlier, Father, that reconciliation services, our values are community dignity and advocacy. And as you know, that guides a lot of the decisions that we make here day to day and also long term. The same is true personally. And the same is true in starting a business on your own or trying to build something from scratch. So as a part of our recent workshops with Determination Incorporated, we talked as a community of second chance entrepreneurs and decided that our values are accountability, integrity, growth mindset, connection, and encouragement. I wouldn't go too far over five. It was almost hard to even list that many. But knowing those values will help you stay on whatever your straight and narrow is and help you work toward that long-term goals that you may have. Well, I really appreciate you sharing those things. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I want to make sure that people know how to connect with you. So again, if you're listening, go to determinationincorporated.com. 
DeterminationIncorporated.com. Yes, it is kind of a long one, but it's worth going to the website. And if you want to see what Kyle's building also at Reconciliation Services, you can go to Thelma's Box Lunch. Dot org. We'll put our food up against Panera any day. I'm laying down the gauntlet. It'll be like the Coke Pepsi challenge, right? But thelmasboxlunch.org. Check out what Kyle and the team are doing with that. And Kyle, I, I really appreciate what you've brought today. And I love talking to social leaders like you, but I also love to talk to social leaders who are not just doing um, good and doing well in their business, a for-profit business, but I love talking about social entrepreneurship and the kind of work that you're doing with Second Chance Entrepreneurs is so cool and so inspiring. Thank you for what you do. Now, we have to get back to the very beginning. I know you're not a singer, but you love Hamilton. Can you, can you, give, it, you, know, can you give us a snippet as we close it out? I am the A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R. We are meant to be a colony that runs independently. You are Britain. Keep on shitting on us endlessly. Essentially, they <laughs> Okay. First cuss word on the podcast. Thank you. Secondly, Secondly Lin-Manuel, I need the cease and desist letter, but I want you to sign it and not your attorney. And I promise... We won't do it again. Kyle, thank you so much. Kyle Smith, Determination Inc., Reconciliation Services. I really, really appreciate you joining us today. And I look forward to um, having you back on. We'll hear about whatever it el whatever else you're going to be building. So thanks for joining us today, Kyle. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us on this, the 26th episode. I can't believe it's been 26th of the Social Leader Podcast. And I got to ask you a huge favor. If you like the podcast, if you like hearing Kyle Smith sing Hamilton, please go out to wherever you listen to podcasts, like the podcast, share the podcast, hit the little bell button on YouTube so that you know whenever we're out there. We'd love to share this podcast and hopefully the inspiration that you're getting from the Social Leader Podcast with even more people. And lastly, again, if you want to lead with greater social impact, there's a lot to learn from folks like Kyle and those who've done it for a really long time. Please go to thesocialleader.org and enroll today in the Social Leader Essentials e-course. I promise you, it is not going to be a waste of your time. And that course, again, fuels all the work that we're doing here at Reconciliation Services, including supporting folks like Kyle and giving meals to those through Thelma's Box Lunch who really, really need it and can't afford even an affordable meal. So go to thesocialleader.org, sign up and enroll today. 30-day money-back guarantee. You can't beat that. We'd love to have you join us. And I hope you'll come back and listen to the next episode of the Social Leader Podcast. Until next time, let's together learn to lead with greater social impact. Thanks.